Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Leaders Performance Podcast. My name is John Porch. I'm the editor at the Leaders Performance Institute and today I am joined by my co-host Sarah Evans, the Leaders Performance Institute Senior Community and Account Executive. Sarah, how are you doing today? Very good, John. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here with you. It's great to have you here and no doubt you were as excited as I was to speak to our guest today. We have just come off the phone with Jessica Battaglia, who is the Senior Manager in Control of Operations, Programming and Events at the United States Tennis Association. Jessica has been at the USTA for more than 16 years and has served in her current role for just over 18 months. She is one of the organization's most senior female leaders and the main thrust of our conversation today was the power of mentorship and the importance of investing back in women. Sarah, what were some of the things that stood out to you from the conversation? Yeah, I thought it was a a really brilliant conversation that we had with her. And for me, I think one of the key things that underpinned both of those two topics was about the importance of building relationships. This takes time. Some of her mentoring programs last 18 months, which means it's not a quick fix. This is something you have to really develop these relationships, build trust to allow vulnerability and to allow both people to grow. And also there's the such need for female empowerment how these communities of females together can really lift one, one another up and provide confidence and belief in each other so that hopefully more women can develop through the pathways. And I agree entirely. And it was absolutely fascinating to listen to you both talk about that during our conversation. And the thing that struck me as well is how important it is for the mentor to invest in that relationship and also how the mentor can also learn from the mentee. And with all that in mind, we'd better get into it. And Sarah began by asking Jessica about her role. Yes, so I am currently the Senior Manager of Operations, Programming, and Events, and it is multifaceted. Each day looks different from the last, and I think that part's what makes my role so exciting. Um, I have my hands on a lot of different projects and events, and then help our general manager with day-to-day sort of business operations. But really, if I had to sort of bucket it into large buckets, event management and project management is probably where my day-to-day responsibilities lie. And you mentioned excitement there, Jessica. What aspects of your work do you like the most? You know, I think coming out of COVID, we're really returning back to our travel and being able to be on the ground with our coaches, really sort of feeling the impact of delivering our coaching education programs, being at tennis tournaments and seeing our athletes that we train thriving and really succeeding again. I think those are the things I missed the most in the last two years. We are all sort of in this crazy sort of space during the pandemic. So really just being able to see the impact that our entire player and coach development team has on a day-to-day basis is really, really rewarding. Great. Yeah. Just being able to travel, I'm sure it brings so much joy back. And um, what would you describe as your biggest success in your role so far? For me personally, the biggest success I would have is being able to say that I participated in the 2020 Olympics as part of the delegation. So I, along with a counterpart, were responsible for getting our team of 24 to Tokyo and all of the logistics leading up to it, providing a really sort of safe space for all of the athletes to compete. And then again, making sure everybody got back to the state safely and healthy. And I think that to date has been the toughest and most challenging project that I've been involved in, but also yet the most rewarding. So I think that to me is the pinnacle of sports and being able to just have a small role in that experience has been the most rewarding experience I've had to date. 
And Jessica, we wanted to talk to you about the power of mentorship. It's one of the major reasons that we invited you onto the show today and you were kind enough to join us. So perhaps you could talk a little bit about why mentorship is important in high performance sports and what difference can a mentor make? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. I think sport teaches us so many of our great life skills, such as teamwork and becoming leaders and overcoming adversity and I think mentoring is sort of inherent within sport, especially team sport. As I think of high-performance athletes, they're constantly striving to achieve more, constantly wanting to better themselves to earn the next title or win the next championship or for whatever sport it is. And I think having the ability to lean on people within your circle to help you sort of navigate those next steps, those next obstacles really is the beauty of mentorship. And I think having the ability to learn from others what others have done really well or maybe where they may have had some missteps really helps the athlete become that best version of themselves. Thanks, Jess. Yes, it's so interesting. And I think that support system is so important in the high performance sport because we all know how much of a pressure cooker elite sport is and how many challenges there are and just being able to lean on somebody that might have been through something similar and being able to learn from them is so important. But what do you think some of the requisites are to be a mentor within the USTA and what is the required subject matter for that expertise? We at the USTA several years ago created a coach to coach mentoring program and really the idea behind that was to pair a more experienced tennis coach with a younger you know, more junior tennis coach, if you will, someone just sort of starting in the industry. And we look to identify coaches who throughout their careers were willing to give back um, and give back to the, the sport, but were also successful within the industry and looked to pair individuals with similar career interests. But the beauty of my role within this mentoring program was that I got to be on the sidelines and, and watch these relationships grow and flourish and the ones that I saw that were the most successful really weren't necessarily about the subject matter itself or them being sort of a subject matter expert, but really the willingness for someone to commit to help this younger individual look to achieve and gain more and really sort of navigate this unknown sort of area or again, what comes next. And in this particular program, it, the requirement is 18 months. So there really is a bit of a commitment there. So that commitment and follow through is also incredibly important in helping to see this mentee through their professional growth and development. But I think the requisite would be that you have the belief in your mentee as well. I think that's really critical to have an ability to believe in their ability to grow and develop and succeed is probably the most critical and most vital to the success of the relationship. I love that. And I think just especially within sport, sometimes all it needs is someone to believe in you. Uh, as an athlete or as a coach being able to utilize your strengths and get the best out of yourself and therefore the best out of the athletes how would you think cross-sport mentorship would would look and I mean from my own personal experience actually mentor an equestrian rider from myself as a hockey background I know nothing about (laughs) equestrian so that has different challenges but what do you think the differences are between understanding and having that expertise within a subject versus not really knowing anything about it at all. Yeah, I think it depends on, I guess, what you're trying to gain from the relationship. I don't know that that's as critically important in the pairs that were females. I think confidence was the piece that I saw many of the mentees were lacking. And so just having someone, again, telling them that they can do this, here's like a toolkit to help you achieve this, right? And, And maybe that's where 
understanding the space a little bit more is important. But I think, again, just knowing that you have someone in your corner that is backing you and helps without providing some of that accountability, I think is really important. So I think yeah, cross sport is definitely achievable. And I'm curious to ask you both, actually, perhaps starting with, with you, Jessica, what are the types of questions a mentor should look to ask? Is there a particular tone of voice you should adopt when talking to your mentee? And I'm curious to hear what you have to say about this as well, Sarah, but Jessica, perhaps you could go first. Yeah, I think asking good questions is important. I think just making sure that you, again, are asking really open-ended type questions to help with drawing out that larger sort of response. But I think good mentoring kind of goes back to the mentor with having solid active listening skills, being able to effectively communicate, being able to provide really motivating feedback. And again, the ability to form a trusting relationship. I think those are sort of the cornerstones of mentoring. I think the questions are, of course, very important, but I think those foundational sort of elements of the relationship need to happen before you can really sort of draw something out and ask those questions of the mentee. Definitely. I agree. I think exactly like you said, Jess, it's the it's the building of those relationships and being able to build trust and allow each other to be vulnerable because I think that's where the beauty of that mentoring partnership can come from and then like you say then probably more likely to open up and be able to dig deep into some of the bigger issues but if you haven't got that relationship to start with then you're probably less likely to unpick some of the things that might be you know really holding them back yeah and that takes time too right I mean that's not going to happen overnight we live in a place right now where we just want instant gratification so I think really having realistic expectations of what you're going to be able to achieve within the relationship early on and understanding that it's slow, but you're still going to eventually get there. But it, it could be a slow journey because the, the importance of building that sort of foundation of the relationship is critical to this sort of longer term success. And I think that is so right then that your program is over 18 months and that just embodies that because it isn't something you can just have one or two sessions and think that you can make a big difference. It does take time and you you have to build those relationships and only probably see the benefits of it, you know, after many, many months. Um, So that's why 18 months sounds like a, a great period of time. And I think similar, it's having that the relationship and the questions that you're asking, but to give onus to the mentee as well. So for them to kind of figure it out and not just always the mentor to be sort of telling and giving advice of course there's going to be times where advice giving is going to be important but how can you ask those questions for the mentee to be able to take ownership and and really dig into it themselves and I guess potentially then that leads on to the a question around what is the distinction between mentoring and coaching I don't know if you have any insight into that of what maybe that distinction is yeah, I think that's another really great question I think it's a continuum I think I think your mentor could be coaching and teaching you and I think the mentor could be learning through the mentee as well right so I just think that it's probably more of a continuum and I think there's always room for coaching and teaching to happen and I think it also you could be learning from multiple people at the same time so I I learned of a concept several years back, but the idea of having your own personal board of directors, and this is sort of your trusted circle of, you know, three to five people where you're going to always lean on them for professional advice and guidance. But I think you turn to each of these individuals for different reasons. So maybe some of it is coaching. Some of it is a little bit more mentorship. So I think about your five people you lean on the most that you turn to when you have some questions or you're trying to navigate a tricky situation. And so I think, again, going back to just how I started the the answer, but 
I think it's a continuum, but you may get that answer from somebody different every time. Well, I think it's an interesting one because coaching, when we talk about coaching and development at the Leaders Performance Institute, it's very much a formalized program. There is an element of relationship building and there is a focus on some of those softer skills, but it is very much a formalized program. Interestingly, Jessica, at the USTA, you've introduced this formal mentoring program and adding that layer of structure to it is quite an interesting move on your part as well. How do you find that adding that structure has impacted the quality of the mentoring? Is being able to measure people's progress an actual help? Has it helped you to deliver a critical edge when it comes to mentoring? And has that changed the dynamic between the mentor and mentee to any sort of extent? Yeah, so it's definitely a formal program. And we as the USTA sort of step away once we've provided some training and background. We don't necessarily want to get into the specifics about what goals are sort of set within each of the individual relationships. But we want to be there to help provide resources or if something maybe is going off track to you know step in to help intervene. But really the goal of providing this mentorship program is to make sure that we're retaining individuals within our great sport. We don't want to lose people because they didn't have the support or guidance from you know, a, a more seasoned individual that could provide them with advice and resources of how they approached a similar challenge or problem or navigated their career. So it's, it was really more of a tool that, we were, that we're using to make sure that we're continuing to develop and retain individuals within our sport. And Sarah, what about your thoughts on what Jessica is sharing with us there? Those sort of formalized programs, I, I guess your relationship with your mentee is a bit more informal, but are there elements of what Jessica is saying that could actually prove quite handy in your relationship? Yeah, definitely. And I think so I mentor as part of a, um, a charity with sort of brings together sports people across the globe and obviously I'm paired with a, an equestrian but when through playing hockey we did have someone who's called a performance lifestyle advisor which kind of took that role of being a mentor a bit mine was amazing and she was the ex-England rugby captain um so she definitely experienced lots of the highs and lows of elite sport but exactly like Jessica's saying about having that support system and the people that you can lean on in those different times is crucial for high-performing environments. And so I think if you can have that as something formalized, it almost requires you to then have that support because I think sometimes you can either maybe be lucky that you have people in your life or you're proactively seeking people out that can be that support system. But actually having then a formalized structure around one, maybe how to be a good mentor and the same way for a mentee. But just I think there's been a whole wave of people within high performance sport to recognize that well-being is such a crucial part of performance. So having a formalized structure to ensure that everybody can have that support and that, like Jess says, that you don't have people leaving the sport because they're not supported. I think that's only a positive. So the more that we can have these formalized programs and learn from the USTA, then I think if that can be spread out across every sport, I think the whole landscape of sport would probably be in a better place. So yeah, I'm definitely all for it and see the power of mentoring and, and essentially support networks. And if I could just add, I mean, there's room for all types of mentoring programs, right? I mean, the USTA has this formal program, but 
we recognize that relationships happen in a really organic way. And so we want to help support individuals that have formed these sort of organic, more informal relationships and want to continue to provide them with whatever tools or resources they have just to, again, help create success wherever we, wherever possible. But not all relationships need to be in this real sort of formal way. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think it's just ensuring that there there is scope that you can have the support there. Of course, you're going to have good relationships with other colleagues or with the athletes or as an athlete with your coach, technical coach or gym coach, whoever it might be. But sometimes I think it might not always happen. And you just by having maybe something more formalized, you can ensure that there is support there for people that want to seek it. And often within elite sport, especially from my experience within team sports, sometimes it can be on you to pick yourself up or to, if you're not selected, what are you going to do to get yourself selected again? And sometimes that can be a really heavy burden. And actually just being able to have a support system that's it, that's in place either organically that you've been able to build relationships or if not to have that as a formal person to be able to go to when things are tough. That's a really important service that kind of needs to be available to everybody across that high performing environment. So definitely agree that of course, everyone's going to have people they connect with really well that you're organically just going to click and be able to support each other. But if not, there's always this formalized space that you can have support from, especially when we all know that high performing environments can be tough and you're going to have challenges, you're going to have successes and how you can share and support one another within that space is important. Just one final question, really, on the power of mentorship, and it is to delve into that relationship between the mentor and the mentee again. A question we've been batting around, certainly here at the Leaders Performance Institute, is that one about the curse of knowledge. The idea that when you're the expert, the unknowns to others remain hidden to that expert. Do you both feel that mentorship helped both the mentor and the mentee to overcome that shall we say, curse of knowledge? Yeah, so in hearing that question, it made me sort of think about the I don't know what I don't know. And so the mentor has this great sort of skill set and walked through, you know, all of their experiences in life, but it's hard to remember, right? Or maybe you were in earlier in your career and what you didn't know at that time, because, you know, we don't really do a great job of maybe journaling all of these, you know, huge milestones in our lives. I would say that this is where the onus is more on the mentee for them to own what they don't know. And rather than being embarrassed or pretend that they don't know something that they ask. So if the mentor were to share something that, you know, using a business example, uh, they share a P&L and you don't know how to read it. You got to own it because the information moving on from like a finance perspective is only going to get more involved and further complicated. But I think as the mentor, just seeing it from the flip side, you know, I think just continuing to be aware of that and maybe just knowing that you should continue to sort of gauge where the mentee's knowledge is and recognize this sort of gap, like you're you're saying, this curse of knowledge. I definitely agree. And I also think that things change and times change and maybe there'll be things that actually the mentee can almost teach the mentor the the way that maybe it happened when the mentor was coming through the system you know things have moved on or or the culture is different and actually they can help one another to navigate the ever-changing world of elite sport and there's you know there's so many good examples of reverse mentoring working really well you know the younger generation might have all these brilliant ideas and can be able to help the mentor who might be slightly older or more experienced to then take on some of some new ideas uh, and be able to integrate that into their working working life so I definitely think it's it comes from both ways as well like you said and the mentoring program or relationship can definitely be a two-way street and they both can benefit from it. 
Yeah, I totally agree, Sarah. We saw lots of opportunities for reverse mentoring within our coach mentoring program. I think about technology being one of those ways, you know, the use of social channels to promote your brand and yourself. And I think, you know, the younger generation is so much more comfortable in doing so. And that was just a small example of how we saw the mentee really being able to help mentor their mentors. So we were also really keen to pick your brains about uh, investing in women, Jessica. We know this is something that you're really passionate about and have been doing some amazing work within this space. So to start with, how is the high performance landscape changing for female practitioners and what are some of the enduring obstacles that they face? So I think that this is a really encouraging time for females in the sports industry. Myself as like an administrator, I am seeing so many more women in C-suite positions or really executive roles within various sports organizations. And I think that that's something that I've never witnessed before. And I believe it's sending a message to future generations. Billie Jean King always says that if you can see it, you can be it. And I think for future generations to come, they're seeing these women in these really high profile positions. And so I think that the tide's beginning to turn. There's really a great opportunity for for more opportunities for women in higher roles within sport. I do think though it is a is a little bit of an uphill fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> We're in the right direction, but there's still a long way to yeah. go. I think that's that's probably how it can be best described. But I, I love that. I've always believed in that quote as well from Billie Jean King and actually to not devalue or underestimate the importance of just being able to see women in those high roles or on TV or on the sidelines, in the boardrooms, having the, that diversity of thought, of experience. And that's only going to help society, but our sports teams to be able to thrive because we know that that diversity can be so crucial to being able to innovate and to do things differently and to get the best out of everybody. I couldn't agree more. And I wanted to ask you both, are we still seeing examples of women being pigeonholed in certain roles, i.e. the idea of someone saying, she's a woman, she must be the psychologist, not the S&C? And if that is the case, what can be done to level the playing field? I'm curious to hear that from a tennis perspective, but also from a hockey perspective. I, I think that there is more opportunities right now for women to be part of communities within sport. And so I think that that's helping women understand other roles within sport. But I mean, ultimately, I would love to see more companies create talent development programs, which would help to develop their current staff um, and their human capital and look to provide tools and resources to continue to help these identified staff develop and grow, really creating a culture from within to help promote individuals that I guess that would help women move outside of some, some of these roles that maybe women have already been maybe pigeonholed into. Yeah, and I think it's a perception or a society piece where we need to change those thoughts that they must be the psychologist if they're a woman and not an SNC. And almost similar coming back to if you can see it, you can be it. If we're used to having SNC coaches who are women as well as men, from a hockey point of view, I've never had SNC coach that's a woman. So just from experience, you're just more used to that potentially being a man, um, whereas the physios and psychologists were all women. So I think it's that's obviously historically maybe the pattern that there's been. And I think it's recognizing maybe what those roles are where we haven't got the pipeline. And I think you're exactly right, Jessica, that, you know, how can we change or enhance those talent development systems so that from an earlier age, we are going out to different communities and areas where we can encourage more women to get involved from a much earlier age to go through that pathway so that they can train and become 
those different roles. Uh, there's no reason why they can't be. It's just maybe we have to be more targeted around recognizing which areas are maybe underdeveloped within certain communities. So how can we change that and how can we develop it? But then it's also a societal thing of changing perceptions of, well, why can't women do that? Of course they can. So I think that's that's really important. And I guess that leads me on to the next question, which is in performance conversations, what difference can it make to have female perspectives in the room? How can they enrich the conversation and improve decision-making? I mean, definitely, again, going back to the whole concept of diversity of thought, right? I mean, I think it's always important to have different ideas or thoughts within the room. But I really think that this is person-specific. But I think really when you're delivering a conversation around someone's performance, again, I just think you have to be able to trust the person that's providing you with this feedback. So whether that's a male or a female, and again, I think that goes back to the, the individual themselves. I personally have never had a female supervisor or boss. All of my <laughs> bosses have been males. And so I don't really know know it another way. But again, having this message delivered to me, I trust that my boss and my supervisor have my best interest in helping me, again, become the best version of myself. I guess that comes back to the relationships because it doesn't really matter what gender your manager is as long as you have that relationship and you exactly like that you know that they have your best interest in heart it doesn't matter I mean you can have females who might not be the best manager you know we're not saying that just because you have that diversity is definitely the right person for you and and that fit in that moment but I think if we don't open it up to as many people as possible to be able to have the opportunity to be in those spaces then potentially we're missing a trick of how much we could be improving and, and moving forwards within that space. Absolutely. It was really interesting, one of our virtual roundtables with the Leaders Performance Institute, and it was around equality, diversity and inclusion. And one of the members was sharing how within, it was actually within tennis, they conducted some research into female coaches. They wanted to do a bit of a data analysis on where they currently were, what the situation was. And they found that only 12% of the coaches that they had were female. So then they thought, okay, well, why does it matter? What is the benefit of having female coaches versus male or everybody that they have? So they then conducted some further research and found that 72% of the women that they interviewed said that they had been influenced, significantly influenced by a female mentor. And actually that then that they were able to get more funding because of those that research. So I guess it's really interesting to see the power that the diversity has actually had a performance benefit for them. And have you experienced that within your mentoring program and having females as mentoring and mixing the two of power of mentorship with also giving back to females? Yeah, so I can think of like a few relationships that really, really flourished that were female to female. And I think there's probably sometimes more often an easier connection, you know, from same, from same gender to same gender. Uh, whether that be male to male or female to female. So I think, you know, that helps, I think, with building that relationship for trust. But going to your point about the women in tennis and the number of coaches within tennis, I mean, we're witnessing that here in the States, only about 25% of tennis coaches within the States are female. And so we're currently trying to understand why females are underrepresented and what we can do to attract and retain tennis coaches. So we are working with a researcher this year to understand a bit more. And while I do think that this is a global problem and not something tennis is experiencing alone, I'm not sure that the solution is the same for every sport. So really, I think 
it'll be interesting to see what the results indicate and, and how we're able to adjust our strategy and tactics to be sure that we're, you know, really attracting females into this tennis space. The big final question we wanted to ask Jessica was, how have you sought to create opportunities or provide a platform for female practitioners, both formally and informally through your work? So I think uh, what I just shared from a coaching perspective, you know, I think we're really trying to understand why women are leaving our sport and what we can do to provide more resources and support for them. I think providing that community of other women to help share their journey, their experiences, what worked well, what didn't, I think will be probably one of the tactics if I had to sort of just surmise based on my own personal experience and journey. But I think from more of like an administrative perspective, I think leaning on women and other sort of women-centric communities to learn from people's experiences and journeys themselves, I think the USTA has created some business resources group and I'm a member of our women's business resource group. And I think the opportunities that that group's afforded other women within our organization is really informative, but also really powerful. So to hear other women be really vulnerable about what their struggles have been, how they've overcome them, having some really honest conversations about imposter syndrome, having some panel discussions to learn from other women that have been really successful in their journey. But I think hearing from women share that, you know, while they're in these really high profile positions, the journey wasn't easy for them. You know, I think sometimes that gets lost. You see that someone's had really great success, but you don't hear about the stumbles and the challenges along the way. And so I think just, again, creating this community for women to connect and learn from each other has been really invaluable for me yeah definitely that really rings true as well and just that sharing positives sharing the struggles it goes back to when we're talking about the mentorship of just helping build confidence it's just knowing that there's other women out there who have gone through something really similar they've come through the other side but actually to know that it was really hard they did get through it this is maybe how they did it can you learn from one another in that way and, and building that sense of community i think is really important especially if you are working in a really male dominated environment sometimes you might not have that sense of community within your workplace and then if you can have that outside of it and within those female sports communities i think is only going to help you build your confidence so that then you can maybe speak your mind or be able to help push for change when you are maybe within work where there's a lot more males than females and you have that confidence to be able to speak up in meetings or go through the ladder and, and work as high as you can. So I definitely agree that those communities are, can be invaluable. There's an organization that I'm also a part of here in the States called WISE, which is Women in Sports and Events. And they highlight four women every year as women of the year. And as part of the panel discussion that they have with these four women is that the women are all asked to write a letter to their younger self. And every year, it's just so powerful to hear these strong, really successful women speak to a, a younger version of themselves. And in doing so, they're usually t telling their, their journey and where, you know, they've had fun and maybe made some really silly decisions or took the wrong job or whatever it is. But I just think that that's always an important piece I think for individuals to look back and think about what they would tell their younger selves, because 
me personally, I don't think I give myself enough credit for all of the success that I've had. So when I, if I were to think about this 10 year old self, would she be proud of all the things that I've accomplished? And so I think that's just such a powerful moment um, every year when I attend their conference. But I just think about, again, what all I've achieved and what I've um, been able to accomplish and making sure that I'm giving myself the, the credit for that. And I don't know that women do a great job of doing that. Amazing. I love that. And yeah, I think that's probably the case across many women working within similar industries to yourself. And I think maybe it's, I think this, it has changed, but historically, maybe there was only one woman that was able to climb. So it seemed to be that you had to tread on people to get there. Whereas it seems now it's so much more empowering and those kind of groups can just help women to support women and actually, you know, by who do you want to talk about you in a room that you're not there to help give you an opportunity and and how can you do that to help other women to do the same? I think it has changed a lot more in society and in within, especially within sport that women are helping each other and empowering each other through these communities to give each other confidence, but also to empower one another to be the best versions that they can and to recognize, be their best cheerleader and the person that tells them to remind them that they have been doing some such amazing work and to give yourself the pat on the back if there's times where you don't think about it yourself. So yeah, I think there's so many different reasons why those communities are amazing. And I love that they do that there at WISE and help you to look back and reflect on all of the amazing successes that you've had. Yeah. And I think, you know, we are all standing on the shoulders of all the women that came before us and pioneered this trail for us. But I think it's really important for our generation to be sure that we're pulling other women up with us and providing, you know, the same opportunities. So I think, you know, we have this really big responsibility as well. Amazing. Thank you very much. That's very helpful and lots of good insights that we can definitely delve into ourselves. Jessica, thank you so much for your time today. I think that's a perfect place to wrap things up. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me. 